The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Now, I know this is a little bit of a different kind of perspective. How many of you recognize um, that there are some people in America that still need Jesus? Raise your hand. You, you recognize, all right? How many of you would say, especially in California, all right? There's maybe one or two people who need to, who need to come to faith in Christ, even in California. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, we're joking a little bit. There's a great need in our country. There's a great need in our state uh, for good Bible preaching churches. And uh, we want to be a part of not just sending missionaries overseas and supporting them and helping with their works. Uh, We want to make sure that there are churches right here in the U.S., uh, churches right here in California that will continue to preach the Bible and get the gospel out to as many people as possible. And, And one of the exciting things about investing prayer and investing finances into local works, here's one of the neat things about it, is we have an opportunity to partner with churches that are getting launched here in California. And we've done this for years. One of the kind of neat side benefits of it is the churches that we've been able to help plant and the churches that we've been able to help launch over the last, you know, 15 years or so, every one of those churches now are supporting and sending out their own missionaries. And so when you help to support a church here in the States, it's not just that you're supporting them for a couple of years and then you're done. Those churches now over the years continue to support other missions work. And so it just continues to go on and on and on. And that's one of the reasons we like to spend part of that missions budget and really support our local church and support here these launches that are taking place uh, both in California and around the country. And so we have one of our church planners with us today. Akeem Smith is a church planner to Oakland, California. How many of you know where Oakland's at? All right, up in Northern Bay Area. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that are leaving the urban centers. They're leaving inner cities, uh, partly because they're so expensive, partly because they've become so multi-ethnic that people are having a hard time even developing churches in those type of regions. And so I was so excited and pumped to hear about Akeem and uh, just his heart to go right back into those areas and just plant a thriving, gospel-centered, Bible-teaching church. And so Akeem and his wife have already moved up there, um, and we're excited just to hear about already the gatherings that are coming together, uh, the team that has come around them, uh, the church that's getting up and launched. Uh, I've known Akeem for many, many years. Uh, we've had the opportunity of getting to know each other here for quite some time. I've, I've known, actually, your wife a whole lot longer. Uh, some of you know I was a youth pastor for several years down in Southern California. Uh, Jamie was actually in Jenny and I's youth group uh, way back when, and so that's a little bit of our connection. Uh, we actually graduated from the same Bible college in Southern California. I think a couple of years difference. I think it's just, just, a, just a few and uh, things along those lines. But uh, he's from West Coast Baptist College there in Southern California. And he's going to come and share a little bit about his heart, a little of what God's doing, as well as just open up the Bible and preach to us. He's going to tell us a little bit about Storyline Church, uh, the church that's getting launched there in Oakland. I hope you'll open up your hearts, open up your Bibles, prepare yourself for what the Lord has. Super excited to be here. And uh, man, we just, we love Fresno Church and Ambassador and Pastor Ermler um, has been a good friend to us and to my sending pastor as well in Las Vegas. So we're super thankful to be here with you this morning. Um, before I do get going, I have to take a picture. 
okay? Um, I have to report this to people that are important. Um, so, and I'm a millennial, so I have to take a picture. Is that cool? Can I take a picture? Is that, is that okay? So, this has got to be a fun picture, okay? So, you can't be, like, standing there, okay? So, I'm going to take the picture in, on, three, on three Fresno. So, one, two, three, Fresno. And you all put your hands in the air, put your Bibles in the air, all that, okay? We're good? We're, we're back in youth group, somebody. <laughs> all right. On three. One, two, three, Fresno! Awesome. You did well. <laughs> uh, hey, I, like I said, I'm super excited to be here. My wife and I arrived in Oakland in October, and uh, we've been doing what's called like startup parties. Uh, so that's just the language of the Bay Area. They're just familiar with startups, you know, and so we do startup parties, which is a once-a-month event that we do to bring people in the community at a local coffee shop, and we kind of share the vision for Storyline Church for about an hour. So it's an hour, 80% of it's relational, 20% vision. So my wife and I, she's amazing. I wish she could be here tonight, but today, but she's not. And we share the vision for about 15 minutes for Storyline. And so uh, we've had about our first startup party, we had about 52 people come, and then we had about 47 the other time, and then 30, and then again, we're going to do our last startup party in just next week, Sunday, a week from today. We're having our last startup party. And so people have been coming to hear about Storyline, and we're super excited to what God's going to do uh, through Storyline Church. And so actually, this is our last startup party that's going to be leading into our preview service. It's a once-a-month service that we do uh, starting in July. So July 28th is the first one. Super pumped about that uber excited. Come on, somebody. And then the August one, August 25th is our second preview service, and then leading us up to our grand opening in September uh, for our, our launch Sunday. So we're super excited, and I can't say that enough. And uh, yeah, thanks for allowing us to be here uh, this morning. And I say that on behalf of my wife and the Storyline Church. We've built a team of about 11 people that have moved from Southern California, Texas, Florida, to be part of this church plant. And so those guys are killer. They're awesome. They're doing a phenomenal job. And uh, follow us on social media. Uh, subscribe, double tap, okay, like everything, um, and that'll help us a lot as we kind of reach our city and our community. Um, the urban areas is very different. Um, for us, we live in an apartment, and uh, we don't see any of our neighbors. Uh, and the area that we live about three square miles away from us, it's all apartments. There's no homes, like none whatsoever. And so um, we don't see anybody. So like our front door, like, is our social media. So Basically, how they know us, how we get to know them, how we introduce ourselves, how we shake their hands is on social media. And so we just try to get inside of the doors of everybody. And even right now, as we're getting ready to ramp up into our preview service, we're going to be on social media a ton, everything, doing as much as we can to kind of get the word out about the new church starting up. And if you have friends and family that live in Oakland, you better let me know <laughs> because uh, we want to invite them to that church. So I saw a lot of hands go up when you said, uh, has anybody ever heard of Oakland? Um, has anybody ever been? Mm-hmm, nobody. Oh, oh it's more hands. Okay, okay. Because usually you hear about Oakland, but you don't go. <laughs> because when I say Oakland, there's something that comes to your mind is Oakland, right? Uh, there's only a small part of the community of Oakland that represent that community. Um, so when I say Oakland, what comes to your mind is just a small part of that. But a lot of people don't go to Oakland because that's the first community that you run into when you get off the Bay Bridge. And so it's a very dense, very urban area, and um, it's been neglected. San Francisco is right across the street, so the Bay Bridge connects San Francisco and Oakland. San Francisco, okay, um, is so iconic. Like, it's San Francisco. It's the land of startups. And so we actually wanted to go to San Francisco for a long time. We wanted to make it work. And so my wife and I, we would visit San Francisco and go to different communities in San Francisco. Like, man, it's got to be San Francisco. But we just didn't feel it. 
But until we went across the Bay Bridge and landed in Oakland, we knew that this was it. Um, and a lot of people don't know about Oakland because, or about the Bay Bridge because it leads to Oakland. And so for us, man, we're, that's our community, that's our tribe. We found it, and we believe that God's going to do some awesome things. He's already been doing some great things through our team and through the people that we've been meeting and connecting with in uh, Oakland, California. So I'm going to jump into the message. Uh, that was a little bit of a preview. I didn't give that last time, but a little bit of preview. Um, and so today we're going to talk about David. Anybody ever heard about David, King David? Heard about him? Hopefully, right? So we're going to talk about a narrative of King David. He had two colossal failures in his life. The first one being the uh, whole thing with Bathsheba. We're not going to talk about that because that's awkward, okay? Uh, but we're going to talk about today uh, his second colossal failure. And so we're going to jump into that narrative after I pray, and it's going to be awesome. You ready? Let's do it. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your word and to share the gospel. Thank you for Fresno and what they're doing in this part of the world to make a difference in their city and in their community. I pray that we would be able to replicate what is being done here in Fresno in Oakland, California through Storyline Church. I pray for my team as they're even getting ready now for worship. I pray that you give them a, a confidence and anointing on their lives to be able to fulfill the call that you've placed in our lives. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> DIY. Anybody ever heard of it before? Do it yourself, I told myself. Jamie and I moved from Las Vegas to Oakland, California, and we moved into this nice three-bedroom house. Really nice three-bedroom house. None of it was ours, okay? So we didn't bring anything with us. It was already pre-furnished. Like, everything was there. There was a couch. There was a TV in every room. There was a bed in every room. There was a dresser. There was a, a rug. There was a refrigerator. There was, a, there was, a, there was um, uh, everything that you can ever think of in-house. Hey, it was there for us. So we just kind of brought our luggage and kind of unloaded everything, and it was perfect, ready for us to move in. And, uh, we're in the shower. I was in the shower, and I noticed at some point, like, there's this, there's a shower head, and then right below that is a knob, and the knob turns on the shower, but also kind of uh, uh, turns it from hot to cold. And so I noticed, as we kind of lived there months going by, that there was, like, a drop from the knob. And I was like, man, this, this is a drop. And then eventually the drop became even more louder and drip, stopped dripping even more faster. And so it started to go from a drop to a leak, and I'm like, man, I got to fix this. I had a neighbor right below me. His name is James. James is from Kentucky. Somebody say Kentucky. Okay, I've never been there. And I'm a city boy, okay? I'm from Las Vegas. I grew up there, and that's all I know is Las Vegas. I'm not good with my hands. James is, though, because he's from Kentucky, right? And so James, I said, James, the leak is bad. So I went downstairs. I'm like, hey, I need your help, man. My, 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 uh, uh, a shower head. It's like, I think it's broken. The knob is in it. It's just, the water's dropping from it. Could you come upstairs and help me out here? And so James brings a toolbox. I have never seen one of these before, okay, somebody? He brings his toolbox. He comes upstairs. He's getting ready to help fix this stuff. And so he takes out some tools. I don't even try to name what the tools were. He takes them out, and he's kind of trying to fix the knob. So he's cranking it to the right, and it's cranking it, cranking it. Five minutes go by, he's still cranking it. I'm like, are you sure? Like, are you doing it right? He's like, yeah, yeah I got this. And eventually, He's black, too, so, like, I knew I shouldn't have trusted him. He's not good with his hands, right? And so he turns the knob, and I'm not even kidding. Like, the knob shoots out, and water is projecting to the back of the shower, and it's literally shooting out, hitting to the back of the shower. I'm, like, freaking out. My wife is in the kitchen. She overhears what's happening. She's like, is everything okay? I'm like, it's fine. We'll fix it. It's fine. And I'm freaking out. And so the water's coming out at a rapid pace, 
James is trying to fix it. He's trying to take, <laughs> what was so funny was that the knob was inside the, the tub and there's water filling up and the water's shooting out so fast, you're just, you're just trying to s- scram. And so we're trying to find the knob inside of the tub, like searching, like putting our hands in the middle. I have to get inside. I'm looking for it. Couldn't find it. Finally, we find it. And eventually, James tries to screw it back on there, but it can't because the water's shooting outside of it so fast. And I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh. And my tub is literally filling up with water. And it gets to the point that it's so bad that it starts to overflow in this house that's not even mine that I'm renting. I'm I'm stressing out. I think I'm about to lose everything. It's going to cost me everything. And water's flowing out. I go downstairs and I grab this huge bucket. I run back upstairs with the bucket and I'm like scooping water and dumping it in the toilet and scooping water and dumping it in the toilet. And it's just, it's not even putting a dent in the thing. And it's just a disaster. All because I thought to myself, do it yourself. Literally the definition of doing something without any expert advice or professional help. And David, David is about to take matters into his own hands. He's about to do it himself. And it's literally going to cost him everything. So, this is what it says. The ways of God, this is what we're going to learn today. The ways of God are most unappealing and seemingly irrelevant when we are angry, isolated, or afraid. The ways of God, how you define it for yourself, the ways of God are, uh, are most unappealing or seemingly irrelevant when we are angry, isolated, and afraid. Look, if I ask you here to stand up and give me your worst decisions, the worst decisions you ever made in your life, you would say, I made it out of a place when I was angry, abandoned or in isolation, or as afraid. And David did the same thing. And what oftentimes happens is that we feel these emotions of, of anger and, and isolation or, or fear, and what often happens is that we try to do something. And what often happens is that we end up doing anything, right? Sometimes you, you revert to what's natural or what your parents used to do or what your friends do or what your past or previous experience was. And so we end up doing anything, and we end up making a disaster of the situation. So David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Here's a little bit of context, okay? So David is very famous at this point. Very well known. Everybody knows who David is. Uh, there's songs written, there's hip-hop songs written about David. Saul has slain his thousands and David has tens of thousands. David's this well-known uh, person right now and Saul is recognizing David's fame. So he tries to control David. Saul's king of Israel tries to control David. And so what he does, he's offered David uh, 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 to, into his family by offering his daughter in the hand of marriage to David. David refuses it. Everybody loves him. He's like, oh my gosh, he's such a humble kid. Who would turn down such an offer? And David refused it, but eventually falls in love with Saul's other daughter. Her name's Michael. We're not going to talk about that. Michael. 
he falls in love with Michael, and then eventually he becomes best friends with Jonathan. That's his bestie, Saul's son. And so they're good friends. He falls in love with Michael. Uh, it's a good relationship. And then all of a sudden, Saul recognizes that this was a bad idea. I should not have done this to bring this guy into my family. He's, his popularity, his fame is growing even more and more. And so what Saul does, he tries to take care of David by sending him on these impossible missions to fight the Philistines. So he sends him these impossible missions to fight the Philistines. David comes back, and he's even more popular, more famous than he's ever been. And one night, everything just culminates. Saul invites everybody to dinner. They're all there. And this is an honor you don't turn down the king's dinner. David's not there. He's been missing dinner because of these impossible missions. And every time David misses dinner, Jonathan covers for him. Michael covers for him. But this one night, they're all there. They're all sitting at the table. And this is where the story continues. This is what actually happens right here. It says, Saul's anger, he's, he's, he's furious. He loses it. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, everyone's there. He said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, you. That's a little strong. When I read it, I was thinking, I hope she's not sitting there. <laughs> you son of a perverse, this is one of the, like, I read this verse and I think, like, this is why we shouldn't give children Bible. <laughs> like, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, you. Don't I know, don't I know that what you have sided with the son of Jesse? Saul wants his son to be king. He says, you, all of you sitting here at the table, you've all sided, you've all taken side with this shepherd boy over Saul, over, over me being king. He said, the son of Jesse, to your own shame. And, and is she in here? And is she, is she in here to the shame of the mother who bore you? Just can leave her out of the equation. <laughs> it must have had some marriage issues, right? But, I mean, everybody had marriage issues in that day because everybody had a favorite wife. You don't want to live in a culture where you have a favorite wife. Okay, that's another story for another time. But he says, to the shame of the mother who bore you, as long, and this is the real problem, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Saul saw his son as being next in line to take heir to the throne. Now that you, your, your kingdom will be established. And he says this, now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. And he storms out of the room. And his best, and Jonathan, David's bestie, leaves, finds David, and says, David, look, man, it's bad. You have to leave town. In fact, it's worse than that. You need to leave the country. Because my father will not rest until you're arrested and dead. And all of a sudden, David is 22 years old, and he finds himself abandoned, angry, and afraid. And David did what all of us would do when we're angry, abandoned, and afraid. He panics. And he leaves and he goes to where we pick it up. Nob. Nob was the safest place in all of Israel at this time because it's where the Ark of the Covenant, it's where the commandments, it's where the tabernacle was with the priests. And so David went to Nob because it was the safest place he can go in Israel. And he went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. The verse says this, Ahimelech trembled 
when he met him and asked, why are you alone and why is no one with you? You see, wherever David went, you heard him coming. Because David traveled with thousands and thousands of men. And wherever he went, you heard him coming. And so when Ahimelech saw David, he said, he was a little bit shaken up because he sees David and he's by himself. He's all alone. He says, why why is no one with you, David? David's a little bit disheveled. He's kind of frantic. He shows up to Ahimelech's house. And David answers to Ahimelech the priest. David lies. Okay. David doesn't lie, okay? David is a, a man of character. He's, got, he's a man after God's own heart, right? He doesn't lie. He, he's a Jewish man. He loves God. He writes about God. He loves God. He doesn't lie. He, I mean, he, he's standing in the presence of the commandments of the Ark of the Covenant. This is, this is David we're talking about, right? Thou shalt not lie. Nice. Everybody this time. Thou shalt not right? He, this is, he doesn't do that. But he answers the king and he says, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. Shh, it's not a sacred mission. No one can know about it. He says, no one, no one is to know the mission I'm sending you on. So he lies and covers for himself. And he says, that's for my men. I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Yeah, nice one, David. A certain place. And David, as you see, this lie is going to cost, not David, it's going to cost Ahimelech and his entire family their lives. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. So him looks like, well, this, you show up at my house, you, 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 you're hungry. Like, this is kind of strange. He's like thinking like, man, this is, David, you're disheveled. You're a little bit frantic and antsy. Like, this is a little, this is a little weird. He's, he's got to be thinking this. So he says, but the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. So in this time and day, right, this is kind of strange for us, but, but the people of Israel, what they would do, or the high priest, they would offer, they would bake first bread and offer it an altar for God as a way to honor God, right? We don't do it in our culture. That's what they would do. But lo and behold, what would happen is that they would come back the next morning and the bread that was freshly baked is still on the altar and God hadn't eaten it yet. And so after they would realize that, they would, the priest would keep the bread and they would eat it. So they would keep it and eat it. And so to eat the bread, you have to be considered ceremonially cleansed to partake of this bread. And so the priest says to David, David, we don't have any normal food here, but we have this consecrated bread that you can have. So the priest gave him the bread. And at this point, not only has David lied about why he's here, He's also lied to be fed. And if you know anything about David, this is outside of his character. This is not the David that we know and love. This is not the David that we have been, uh, uh, that we fear and love and admire. This is not the David that we are, this is not the version of, of him that we are familiar with. But what's about to happen is about to get very dramatic 
and very intense in the next moments. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that like God begins to speak to you. So he says, David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spirit or a sword here by chance? Okay, okay. Ahimelech at this point is like, okay, I got a big, like, this is a big clue. Like, David, you're like literally the most famous nation or famous warrior in all of the nation of all of Israel. And, and you're on a secret mission with your men that are hiding someplace. You have no food, no water. You look like you haven't slept in days. And you're here asking for food and water. And you don't even have a weapon? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was so urgent was so urgent. And you can just imagine David in this moment, like, what are you doing? And what's about to happen? Like, this is where, this is where, like, the music in the background should be playing. Like, a film should be made about this because what's about to happen is, is very dramatic. So he says, I don't have a sword or weapon. He's looking for a sword. He's looking for a weapon. And check this out. This is what happens next. This is what he says. He says, The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed, David, seven years ago, the sword of Goliath whom you killed seven years ago is in the valley of Elah, is here. And David is sitting there and he's about to make a decision that he's going to forget for the rest of his life. And the priest says, look, you're looking for a sword, you're looking for a weapon, you're looking for a spear. And the only thing, the only thing we have here, David, is this weapon that you used to conquer Goliath, to slay the giant, that the David that we know and love and admire today, look, this is the weapon that we have that we can remember you of. You see, because David, when he killed Goliath and took his head off, he kept the weapon for himself as a souvenir. I mean, come on, who wouldn't, right? He kept the weapon for himself as a souvenir and offered eventually offered it to the priest and says, look, God, I'm delivering this to you. I'm delivering this to you as a, uh, as a monument to say, look, I have not delivered myself today, but it's in your hands and you have given me this battle. And so he offers it to the priest. So this was so emotional. This is a big deal when David saw this, the, the sword of Goliath being offered and given to him in this moment. There's so much emotion wrapped around this moment. And what David is about to do is incredible. Like, think about it. This is the David that, this is not the David that we love. This is the shepherd boy that was wandering in the valley on that afternoon. Literally thousands of men on both sides of the valley. And David sees Goliath defying the armies of the living God. And David looks Goliath in the eye and says, look, this day, this day will I cut your head off. And this day will I feed it to the carcass of the Philistines and to the birds of the air, to the fowls and to the beasts of the land. And this day will everybody know. This is what the verse is, right? What happened to that David? What happened to that David that said, this day, next verse. All those gathered here will know that this is, the, this is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Look, what happened to that David? What happened to that David that was that brave, that brave-hearted, courageous, clear-eyed, God-fearing shepherd boy? What happened to that David? 
Or the David, the, the one that wrote the, the poet, right? The poet that wrote these words. I will fear no evil for you are with me. What happened to him? Where's the version of that David? I'll tell you what happened to him. Fear. Anger. And loneliness. These three giants have the potential to cause us to forget the defeated giants in our past. You see, these three giants cause us to to wreak havoc on the, the boundaries that we've set up for ourselves relationally, financially, emotionally. These three giants, these three giants has the potential to cause us to overstep, to overstep the guardrails that we've placed for our life, placed around ourselves to protect us, to guide us. These three giants have the potential to cause us to forget the defeated giants in our past. And the story continues, and David's about to make the decision. He says, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And he brings it out, and all the memories of that afternoon is flowing through his mind, not his heart, but through his mind. He's thinking about it. And he looks at the sword. Then he says this. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And he literally takes matters into his own hands and he tries to do it himself. A flawed weapon, a flawed response, and we're seeing in just a moment a disastrous outcome. But this is where my story and your story intersects with the story of David, doesn't it? Because when we need God the most, in those moments when we need God the most, we often opt for things that will never satisfy us then and will never satisfy us later. When we need God the most, we lean away from him, we lean away from his direction, and we run and we reach and we grab for things that will never satisfy us now and that will never satisfy us later. And it's so easy. It's so easy to see this in someone else. It's so easy to look around and say, man, you have friends and family right now that are making decisions based out of fear or anger or isolation, and they would, uh, out of fear or anger or being afraid or isolation, and and you know that they're just going to make things more complicated. They're just going to make it more complex. They're just going to make it more confusing. And it's easy to see this in somebody else, but it's so hard to see it when we're looking straight in the mirror. So David takes... The weapon. And guess where he goes? Leaves the country and he goes to the land of the Philistines. <laughs> nice, David. Good move. And he goes to Gath, city of Gath. Guess who's from Gath? That'd be Goliath. And he's standing there before the leader of the Philistines. And he says, hey, I want to join your army. I want to be a part of your crew. I want to subscribe. I, I want to be a part of this. And so he, he says, I'm going to join you. And, and the men and the leader of the 
Philistines are saying, like, what are you talking, like, you're David, you, you have the sort of Goliath right there, like, we're not gonna, like, no way, and so David becomes even more afraid, and he starts to become frightened, and he freaks out, and what happens is that David, the Bible says, he starts acting like a madman, okay, he, he literally, he starts, you should read the Bible, it's great, okay, it's, this is all in the Bible, he starts acting like a madman, he starts to, 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 to uh, break his nails onto wood and starts drooling all over himself and starts speaking gibberish language that they can't understand. He's acting crazy. And the king looks at him and says, who is this? Who is this guy? We have enough fools in our court as it is. Get him out of here. And so David flees for the sake of his life and he goes to a cave. And inside of this cave, he's just having a pity party for himself. And he's in this cave, thinking he has some time to, to think and to ponder his decisions. And finally, and maybe this is where it is for you. Finally, he comes to himself. And David gets up, leaves the cave, and he goes back to his country. And he finds a prophet. And he looks the prophet in the eye and he says this, I want to follow the ways of God. I want to know the will of God. Seek the counsel of God for me on my behalf, and I will follow the ways of God. But by this time, the damaged is done. You see, because when David met with Ahimelech the priest, there's another fellow there. His name was Dueg. Dueg was a part of Saul's captains of guards. And Dueg overheard the conversation between Ahimelech and David, and he got a little bit of it confused, but he got enough information to go back to Saul. And so Dueg goes back to Saul. He looks at Saul and says, Saul, Saul, I hate to tell you this, but I have located David. I have found him. He's with Ahimelech, the priest. And I hate to be the one to tell this to you, Saul, but Ahimelech has sided with your enemy. As a matter of fact, he's given him water. He's given him food. He's given him provisions. He's given him a house estate. He's given him the sword of Goliath. He has armed your enemy. And Saul is furious. And Saul makes a decision out of anger and fear. And he says, well, he sends some men from his captain of the guards to bring Ahimelech the priest to Saul. And he's standing there before, the priest is standing there before Ahimelech, before Saul. And this is what happens next. And then the king sent for the priest to him, like all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Next verse, it says, Saul said to him, why have you conspired to him, like, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring for God for him? And him looks like, what, what are you talking about? Like, uh, I, this is not the first time that I've inquired for, I don't even know what you're saying. Next verse, it says, so, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me this day. Next verse, he says, Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David? The king's son-in-law, the captain of your bodyguard and highly respected. Now, the reputation of David in the community is that he is your most loyal subject. He's the most honoring uh, 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 captain that you have in your bodyguard. Look, he's your son-in-law. What are you talking? I don't even know what you're saying. He says he's highly respected in your household. Next verse, and he says this. Was that the first plus? Was this the first time I've inquired of God for him? Of course not. 
Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family. And Ahimelech is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no clue what you're saying, for your servant knows nothing at all about this affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And the king orders his men to kill Ahimelech and the priests. But these men look, say, we will not do it. We will go to the end of the earth for you. We will slay your enemies. We will take from those who have taken from us, but we will not lay a hand to the priests. But Dueg said, if they won't, I will. And he slaughtered 85 priests. But Saul's not finished. Saul sends some men to the city of Nob, and he says to order to kill every man, woman, and child, and infant, and ox, and cattle, sheep, and goat, and slaughters the entire village. And very few escape, except for one little boy. He runs to David. He falls before David and spills the story of what happened. And David is distraught. David is broken. And David says these words. He says, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. You see, sometimes it feels good to take matters into our own hands. But oftentimes it doesn't go good. And David made a decision that will forever taint and be a part of his story. So, a couple questions here to make this very practical for us. You see what happens sometimes? Is that when we operate out of a place of anger and being afraid or fear or loneliness and isolation, we consider options that we'll never, we would never consider in the past, right? We do things that we would never even dream of thinking. What happens is that, man, look, we would never have done that. We've never been there. We've never gone there. And when we operate out of fear, anger, and isolation, what often happens is that, look, we start to consider live options that were never live options before. So let me ask you a couple questions. Here's the question. First one says this. What is your loneliness, anger, or fear causing you to consider that you've never considered before? What is your loneliness or anger or fear causing you to consider that you've never considered before? What is it that you're considering that you've never considered before? Maybe it's because you're in a situation, something's happening at home. 
Maybe something's happening with your family. Maybe something happening with your coworkers, or maybe something happened with your friend. And now it's, it's a live option for you. You're considering to do something that you've never, ever considered before. Or what about this one? Who? Who is your loneliness, anger, or fear causing you to consider that you've never, that you, that you shouldn't consider? Who is it? Is it a person? Is there someone that you're considering? Maybe there's something happening at home. Maybe there's something happening with your spouse. Maybe there's something happening at work. And now, all of a sudden, what you have paid thousands of money for that addiction to put it away, now you're finally considering it. Now it's a live option all over again because you're acting out of fear, anger, or isolation. You're fantasizing things that you would never fantasize before, but because of what's happening, you're now considering it a live option. Who? And this next question is going to be the wake-up moment that David missed, and I hope that we won't miss today. Who, besides you, do your considerations put at risk? Who, besides you, do your considerations put at risk? You see, we, we all know the answer to this question for you. It's the person or the people that you love the most and the people that love you the most. And now these live options are gonna put them at risk and it's just gonna make it more complicated, more confusing, more devastating when you take it matters into your own hands. Last question, what advice, what advice would you give somebody who is you? What advice would you give somebody who is you? We know the advice that David would give, not 22-year-old David, but 50-year-old David. We know advice what he would give to somebody in his case. He would give this advice. This is, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. Not a chemical, not alcohol, not another pill, not another relationship, not another fear, not another marriage, not another pill. The Lord is the refuge. Not another something to lease. Not another new. Not something else to lease. Nothing else. Nothing else. No one else. No other person. The Lord is the refuge for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. You see, we don't understand this word stronghold. But in those times, when time of war, they would flee to a place to find refuge. And David would say to us, look, stronghold is in the Lord. Find refuge in the Lord. Find a place of, of stronghold in the Lord because those who know your name and trust you, in you, for you, the Lord have never forsaken and those who seek you. You see, David would say to us, look, I took matters into my own hands. I took refuge in the things that I can control. But he would say to us, look, I was mistaken because the Lord has never forsaken me. I was mistaken because the Lord has never forsaken me. And so don't take refuge in your control. Don't take responsibility in your control. But look to the Lord for refuge, for he is your stronghold in times of trouble. For those of you that maybe this is your first time visiting, maybe you came with a family member, you're just on vacation, and you have to come to church with them today, 
I want to say this to you. That a thousand years later, a man by the name of Jesus, who was a descendant, most famous descendant of David, in that same part of the country, looked at some over, looked in the eyes of, of overtaxed Israelites, frightened, abandoned, and afraid, and he looked them in the eye and he said, look, he says, I will give you rest. All of you that are heavy laden, that are burdened, look, come upon me, take upon my yoke, for I will give you rest and find rest and a place for your souls. So run to him in a place of trouble. And refuse to take matters into your own hands and do it yourself. Because it just makes the situation more complicated, more complex, and more confusing. When we make a decision out of place of anger and loneliness or fear and abandonment. So find refuge in Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.